Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody around the world. Welcome to our Sunday, January 5th, 2014 edition of Beyond the Gate Radio. My name is David Baker. I am your host, and I'd love to introduce you to our co-host, Sherelle Baker. Good evening, Sherelle. How are you tonight? Good evening, David. I am doing great. I am excited for a wonderful show tonight, John Zaffin. The Godfather of Paranormal. All I have to say to that is amen. Now we're having, uh, normally we have one show a week, but we're having back-to-back shows due to certain people's scheduling. So tomorrow we will have the uh, world-famous Psychic Twins, Terry and Linda Jemison, giving their 2014 world predictions. But tonight we have uh, the Godfather of the Paranormal, John Zaffis. Now, a war arose in heaven... Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him, from Revelations 12, 7 to 9. Uh, tonight, our guest, Johnny Zaffis, also known as John Zaffis, has over 36 years of experience studying and investigating the paranormal. He has had the opportunity to work for and with his and Lorraine Warren. And if you're listening to the show tonight, I'm sure you know who they are. They are super famous and the best. This sent John beyond looking for ghosts and hauntings into studying demonology under the warrants. This led into John's involvement with cases of possession and exorcism and working with prominent exorcists in the field, Roman Catholic priests, monks, Buddhists, rabbis, and ministers. John has assisted and worked with well-known exorcists Bishop Robert McKenna, Malachi Martin, and the Reverend Jen. His research has taken him throughout the United States, Canada, England, and Scotland, covering several thousands of cases. Through hands-on investigating with other investigators and clergy, he has obtained a great deal of knowledge and understanding of the paranormal and is considered one of the foremost authorities in the field today. Johnny Zaffis is considered to be the godfather of the paranormal. One of his books, Shells of the Dark, has amazing accounts of some of his many ventures into the world of the paranormal and the preternatural. For more information, please visit 
his main website at www.johnzaffis.com. Additionally, he has another website, www.prsne.com. And we will mention this one more time, of course. Ghosts and poltergeists were among some of the first and paranormal experiences as well as the demonic and the diabolical. He has also worked extensively, spiritualists and psychics, concerning how their knowledge is used for channeling, reincarnation, which is past life regression, or the calling of spirits for information and how they use meditation to acquire the information which they are seeking. Because of his personal experiences with hauntings, ESP, near-death experiences, and other paranormal activities, he is firm in his conviction that such phenomena exist. Jen has been featured in the Discovery Channel's documentaries, A Haunting in Connecticut, and Little Lost Souls. John has also appeared on Unsolved Mysteries, Fox News Live, and many other print and news media events. John is also in the books of Ed and Lorraine Warren, Graveyards, and In a Dark Place. John's first book, Shadows of the Dark, co-written with Brian McIntyre, was released in September of 2004. John is working on multiple follow-up books currently and is lecturing all over the United States at colleges and universities. The John Zaffis Paranormal Museum opened in 2004 and displays hundreds of artifacts collected over John's years as a paranormal researcher and investigator. Lastly, John has recently starred in his own TV series, Haunted Collector, on the Sci-Fi Channel, viewed by millions, millions of fans and the curious all over the world, which gave much amazing proof that specific item may have a significant effect on a place, person, or area which would cause much disharmony and dislocation for the proprietors of a business or owners of a property. Much of the time, and by the request of the property owner, these objects, when identified, would be moved from that location to a safe place in John's museum. So we will find out more when we talk to the godfather of the paranormal himself, John Zaffis. John, welcome to Beyond the Gate. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. It's our pleasure. So, John, let me get right down to the meat and potatoes. First of all, may uh, Ed uh, Warren rest in peace. But uh, we would like to know how you got started in the uh, paranormal investigations and becoming a demonologist. Wow, is that a loaded question? Uh, <laughs> no, um, <Yes. laughs> back when it was about fifteen, sixteen, I had an experience. And, you know, it was a Wednesday evening because I'm a very uh, avid believer in once you have an experience, you just don't forget these things when you go through them. And I was going to sleep, and I looked at the foot of my bed, and I seen a very tall uh, figure. It was transparent, and it was shaking its head back and forth. So naturally at that point, I went downstairs, and I was telling my mom she was in the kitchen, and I was describing everything to her. And... You know, she turned and looked at me, and she said, did it say anything to you? And I went, no. And she goes, that was my father. And now, 
Ed Warren and my mom were twins. You would say, ghost to Ed, he'd go, where? You would say, ghost to my mother, and she would start crying. So it, it was night and day dealing with the both of them when it came to the paranormal. And she explained to me at that point, she goes, you know, he would always shake his head back and forth. He was a very stern man. He didn't really say too much, but when something was happening or occurring, he would always shake his head back and forth. And then I think it was two to three days afterwards, my grandmother passed away, Ed Warren's mom. She lived with us. And that's what really got me going because we would always hear these stories about how deceased loved ones would come back around and, you know, uh, some of these occurrences. And it was uh, shortly after that, I was sitting down talking with my uncle and I told him about it. And he goes, well, why are you surprised by that? I go, well, I didn't believe in any of this. And I really didn't. I never had an experience, never really had anything occur. So therefore, I can understand what people say they don't believe in it if they've never experienced anything. That's what set me off with getting involved with just trying to learn about the paranormal. And back then, we didn't have computers, and you know, we really didn't have the availability. And I would just uh, pick up books and just read on different things, and I would start going to different locations in the New England area investigating. And shortly after that, I started working with my uncle and started getting involved with uh, learning and trying to understand some of these things. And then I, I can't remember exactly. I know I was in my 20s at this point, and I told him I was very interested in understanding if people got possessed and if these things were for real. And he brought me into his little office. It was downstairs at the house and sat me down and gave me this long lecture on this entire topic of the the demonology, getting involved with it and understanding it. And once you cross the line, your life will change and all of these different things he was saying. And uh, as I was sitting there, I looked at him and laughed because I got a wicked sense of humor. I laugh at just about everything that ever occurs. And, you know, he leaned forward and he looked right at me and he goes, well, I am concerned and I am worried. You are my blood. And he goes, they will try to target you. And at the same time he was saying that, a breeze came right through, right through the entire room. And I remember just sitting there as that occurred. And he, then he just sat back and he looked around and he ended the conversation. Well, as I started reading different books on demonology and possession and, you know, trying to understand some of it, he would take me periodically, you know, when they were involved with different types of cases, whether it be Roman Catholic or Protestant or, you know, uh, dealing with Judaism, Buddhism, all these different people. I had that opportunity to meet and see some of the different things that they were involved with, and that sent me even deeper into it. And the reason why it did was because then it, it fascinated me even more because I was like, wow, all these spiritual people, you know, do clearings and bindings and uh, different types of prayers and things. It, it fascinated me. And it really uh, got me to that point where I really started digging in at that point and learning as much as I could to comprehend and understand these things. But it's one thing reading about it and hearing about it in comparison to witnessing what people go through and uh, the circumstances that tie in with so many different things. That's why it's an important element 
in the paranormal field, when you hear people throw out that word demonology, um, it's an important factor that you learn to understand the different religions, the different methods, and the different people that practice things. I've worked with shamans, medicine men, uh, you know, pagan, Wiccan. You know, my whole thing is, and I try to uh, convey this the best that I can, is that I'm a paranormal investigator. And demonology is one facet of what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in going out there and, you know, determining or saying which is a correct religion, which isn't. That's not what it's all about. It's about understanding uh, so much that occurs and so much that happens with different people out there. And just because somebody might be Buddhist or somebody might be Jewish, I, 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 that, that's not what I'm about. It's it's learning to understand the methodology, the the different things that are done in religions to be able to help people. Because at the end of the day, to me, that's what it's all about. I agree. Oh, sorry, sorry, David. You bring up a really good point, Johnny. You said it's not about the different religions. Now, when you go to do an investigation, and um, do you so? There's, is, are there different rituals and different things that you need to do for different types of religions? Oh, absolutely. You... Um, okay. me, me per se, no, because I'm Roman Catholic. I'm a practicing Roman Catholic. But, again, I'm a paranormal researcher. And, you know, what um, a person practices or what their belief system is, that, that's not important to me. What's important is understanding the methodology of what their belief system is, because that's what I feel we should follow through. Not my religion. I'm not um, one to right. go out there and start right. Bible thumping. I'm the farthest person from that. But right. you know, okay. it, it's it's learning that and and working with um, so many of the different uh, belief systems out there. I'm very intrigued, even to this day. I mean, I get together, you know, occasionally. Um, when dealing with somebody, you know, uh, dealing with the old rabbis or your old shamans, you know, these people have so much wisdom and so much knowledge, and some of the information that they share, or, you know, priests, anybody. I love to sit and just talk to people that have been involved uh, with the paranormal field and the things they've experienced or different things and the way they look at things to be able to help people. So, again, the key factor is when, when evaluating, and if you do need to bring somebody in on a spiritual level, is that it's important to find out what the individual's belief systems are and, you know, what you're going to do to be able to move forward. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Yes, and a point well made because uh, the dark side doesn't really recognize the fact that whether somebody is religious or not, one religious or religion or another, or an atheist or whatever, if they're going to attack somebody, they're going to attack them. It doesn't matter if they open themselves up to it. So uh, it's good, though, to have you know different people around the world that grew up uh, with different traditions and all. They all seem to have a commonality to when it comes to the dark side, there's something that they can do to a higher power in a certain ritual. Now, when I was younger, I knew what I was experiencing, 
and then I was told that, you know, by other people, not my family, that ghosts don't exist and this and that. And so I was just a skeptic for a while until I turned 19 and started studying it myself and practicing it. So were you a skeptic about any of this when you first started out? And if so, what changed your mind or did it take some time to change your mind about, uh, I'm talking about demonology. Um, as far as being skeptical, uh, uh, probably across the board. I mean, even though, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic, went to Catholic school, and a lot of, you know, things, I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, and we questioned everything. So again, you know, even my uh, spiritual belief, along with a lot of these things, I just took that step back and, you know, I'm viewing things and I'm trying to comprehend things. So again, once going down that road of understanding and getting involved with the demonology aspect of it, I think it's a key essential thing to have some type of spiritual foundation behind you because we need uh, uh, the power of that uh, 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 trying to think of a good way to put that to you uh, regardless of the faith you we need the power of the light the power of the good and the power of you know whatever prayer it is that is being used to be able to help protect us and bring that in that really is something that like really gelled and it all came together around the same time framing uh, of looking at everything and trying to comprehend it and trying to understand it and realizing that, you know, we, we have this whole world of uh, the different things that are out there, not just demons or jinn or deities. I mean, we deal with all of this. So, therefore, uh, the elements all fell into place with trying to comprehend and understand everything as far as uh, spiritual development and uh, religious comprehension and understanding of so many different things out there you know it's um it, you know because a lot of people will you know discuss things with me and everything and like i said i'm not a bible thumper that's not what it's about to me it's about understanding everything and uh comprehending it and letting people be people that, a lot of times too again especially with demonology people say well what do you do with a person that doesn't believe in god I don't do anything. It's up to them. Right. You know, again, right. wh- yeah, you know, wh- whatever their spiritual path is or the, their journey, that, that is a decision they have to make and they have to come to terms with it. I mean, I will say this many a times that dealing with people that, you know, um, not very religious or didn't practice anything whatsoever and, and they went through this horrific event and afterwards they'll say, John, now I've got to look at everything differently. And I just smile. I always do. I just smile. And I'll always tell them, you know, whatever path you choose, just make sure the path you're choosing is what you're going to be comfortable with. And you're going to be able to, you know, understand that and be able to follow, you know, some of that journey that you're on. Agreed. Now, uh, you know, the goal, hopefully, of most people is to, you know, want to have, positive life and experiences and stay positive, you know, we're always fighting against the other. It's kind of like a, a natural uh, yin and yang of being light and dark, good and bad, and if 
we can't have one without the other. But if we choose to write and grow from it, then, you know, we're do good and we're pretty much be safe as long as we use our head and stay positive no matter what religion we have. And on one of the, the shows I was on one time as a medium, somebody asked me, well, what do, you th- what do you think about what this religion says about what you do? And I told him, I don't think anything about it doesn't affect me because, you know, the, the ability or gift that I was given is just like our creator would not, you know, limit certain things. We're not able to walk through a wall. We cannot flap our arms and fly, but we're allowed to do this and allowed to do that, you know, for a reason. And uh, whether you have religion or not, things happen. And there is, uh, I've, you know, in my field as a medium, uh, until I released my book in 2007, my first book, there was a skeptic at work. See, I'm an ex-Marine and retired deputy sheriff, and you know how they are. So this one guy, the jails that we worked in were all haunted, had Porter guys activity, and you name it, went on there. Anyway, uh, one day after the book release, he was a hardcore skeptic. He pulled me aside and asked me some questions, and I answered them, and it, it changed his mind. But I'm sure you've had cases where there were skeptics, where you're on a case and maybe something, some type of portuguese activity or something that the demonic, demonic may have done, like maybe making a code in there or doing levitating or whatever. You know, that's got to convince even a hardcore skeptic, doesn't it? Well, the one key thing with me, and most people that have worked with me, and especially in the demonology field is the fact that I don't react in the moment. I, I I don't know why, but I just don't really react within the moment of things occurring and happening. It's usually, I'll take that step back. I have to evaluate. I have to look like the very first time I ever uh, was involved with levitation and I witnessed it. It was still the fact that everybody that was in that room and witnessed it and seen it, I still took that step back and went, yeah, so. But I evaluated it and I thought about it. And a couple of days later, I'm calling everybody that was involved with it and go, we actually witnessed that. And they're going, John, that's old news now. That's three days ago. But that, this is how I react and I handle things when dealing with a lot of it, I, I just always take that step back. And I like to evaluate uh, circumstances. I like to evaluate what all of us just experienced, what had happened. And then I'll usually make a decision at that point and say to myself, you know, okay, this young lady levitated. I was there. I witnessed it. I read about it. I heard about it, but I've never seen it. So therefore, that just altered the way I looked at something because now it's no longer a story in my life. It's a fact of my life. That's totally amazing. You know, I, as a medium, I don't deal on the dark side. Even though I've had a few involuntary encounters a few times, and uh, I've seen meditations of objects and different things. Of course, not big, but small. But um, go about 
and I know it's probably a custom team per whatever situation it is, but what is a typical team made up of, and do you bring certain equipment? If somebody says there's something nefarious going on in their home, in other words, something that's very troublesome for them, uh, is there a way you decide how to comprise a certain team, like mediums or knots, uh, camera equipment, researchers, interviewers, how do you go about that, or is it different each time? It's different each time. Um, a lot of times it's the availability of, of individuals. I mean, everybody works, and, and it, it's a difficult uh, type of situation a lot of times when you're doing investigations. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, certain individuals just can't make it, and other people will go. But, again, I look at it from the fact that when I am going to investigate, there's a lot I do beforehand. There's several telephone conversations. I like to talk to people that are involved with things, uh, that have possibly witnessed things, because you could call me up and tell me anything you want to call me. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to you know, believe that telephone conversation you're having with me. Anybody could tell you a story. Right. You know, and uh, especially today, <laughs> you got to be more careful yeah. uh, due to all our TV shows out there. So I, I look at that from probably a very guarded perspective before I even start to go down the road of something being spiritual, unless unless I'm dealing with you know uh, some of my spiritual friends out there, whether you know be clergy or you know. Uh, psychics or mediums or shamans, I look at that totally differently because the majority of them are already well aware of what is happening and their evaluations are very important to me because I take that very much into consideration when determining what I need to do or what I'm going to try to do to be able to help that circumstances. So it varies. It, it, it's all over the way. Anybody in my team, 20-plus people will tell you, you never know what John's going to do. And you never know how I'm going to react to something or not react to it. Because I never make a quick call judgment unless I already, you know, know or we're witnessing something phenomenal that's taking place while we're there investigating, then I'll look at that differently. But otherwise, the majority of the time, I take my time before I start getting into anything spiritual on an investigation. That makes uh, uh, total sense. Very logical approach, and why not? Because you probably get numerous contacts, you know, every year. Uh, now, you did a show, The Haunted Collector, and I was really impressed that you can actually even go down to the deepest depths of a huge property and find something that's, it, you know, like, how do they find it? And that's the cause and solve the problem. I have, you know, I get calls from mediums that get in trouble, which I'll mention later, because they weren't properly trained about everything, and they have stuff following them home and hurting them. But I get calls from a lady who called me said her, there's all kinds of stuff happening in her house and to her husband and all. And after the interview, I found out that he uh, collects uh, World War II Nazi memorabilia. And mm -hmm. there is a, and there's, uh, a dagger they took off a, a dead German that the husband believed that actually was used to kill somebody with. And since he brought that home, all kinds of things have been happening. So after a couple of calls with her, I advised, 
them to you know get rid of it and get some another one or something else you know and um i don't know i mean you know let me ask you about that so do you think in your experience i know you don't know about this specific case but does that sound familiar to you in any way do you get any calls like that uh, absolutely, continuously, and <laughs> I don't know. That case sounds awful familiar to me. Um, but anyhow, when we deal with this, it's a key factor, you know. And people will always say to me, "Well, gee, John, you know, all your cases are about items." Yes, the show is called Haunted Collector, so therefore, we're going to right. pick those cases. You know, that the people are telling us, you know, we brought items in or we think it might have something to do with this item or, you know, there's a lot of uh, groundwork that goes in determining which cases you're going to use for a particular uh, show. But anyhow, digging in is a key factor with me, and I would even drive them crazy on the TV show because – we would be focusing in on one room where they would say a lot of the activity was going on. I go, uh-uh, this room, or uh-uh, we're going over here. And, you know, in the beginning, it was met with a lot of hostility because the camera crews have to pick up and move and everything. But after a while, they just gave in, and they go, just follow him wherever he goes because that seems to be where the most stuff ends up occurring. And then I just start poking around and start looking and seeing, okay, is there a possibility with this or a possibility with that? Unfortunately, you know, in a a TV show, so much gets uh, edited out. They have to do what they have to do. And I would often would say to them, geez, I wish we could have left this in or left that in. And people would have gotten a better understanding of the episodes. Uh, uh, determining and how you do different things, but unfortunately, you know, uh, Hollywood just doesn't go the way we hope it would go and follow us when we do the episodes. No matter what uh, paranormal show you're watching, it's just it's just the way it goes. There's only 22 minutes per episode, and that's the way it goes. But again, a lot of times, evaluating uh, a particular item or trying to figure out, you know, not only do you have people with you. You're hoping that they can use their psychometry skills, and that's the reading of objects and picking up, see if they can sense anything on it. Then sometimes taking the equipment, putting that near it to see if you're going to pick up on any energy or anything that might be attached to it. So that's, I, I have always done this. I've done it before, you know, Haunted Collector even came about with items. So it's not an unusual to me, and I was hoping by doing the TV show we would have you know, brought uh, a new understanding, you know, to haunted items, and people would have had a better understanding of it. Well, I think you did a pretty good job because, it, you know, there's much experience and education that I've had, which is not anywhere near yours. It's still, I still learned a lot from it, and I thought it was, uh, used a lot of common sense. On the show. I tried. And we got I tried. a lot of good things out of it. Oh, yeah. No, definitely for sure. And when they couldn't answer a question, who did they go to? You. That's because he's a sensitive on top of everything else. Well, you know, you you tend to become, your those channels tend to open up after all you've done, Johnny, you know, over the years. Don't you feel that, you know, after a time, you can just walk into a place and it's either dead air or there's something there? Oh, absolutely. You train yourself to do that. 
it's it's one of our tools. And again, I mean, if somebody walked up and said, John, do a reading on me, I would bust out laughing because, you know, I wouldn't. But if I, if I walk into a location or something, a lot of times I'll just go, this place is creepy or the air is very heavy or there's something that's just not right. You, I mean, and when you get the repeatability with it, it's just something that you use as a tool to be able to determine things. I mean, you know, it's even like being in a room, you know, with a bunch of people, and sometimes you'll look and you go, ah, that person's into something, or that person has something with them. doesn't mean you're gifted or, you right. know, you, you, yeah, it, it's just something you teach yourself to be able to do. And I use that tool, you know, uh, when investigating. That's true. It's like, like you said, you walk into the room and, you know, as quiet as it gets, the, the spidey senses, because, mm-hmm. you know, with David being in law enforcement and everything, you know, it was okay to say spidey sense. That was, you know, or or a hunch or something like that, that it's okay to say. But the moment you say, oh, yeah, I, you know, I have this ability and that I could sense or I could feel a couple of people would raise their eyebrows. But, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's still now that it's people are getting more comfortable with the terms their the eyebrows aren't coming up as fast as they used to well thanks to shows like john's and, and some other people thanks to you guys for you know opening the doors for us and proving it to us you know law enforcement i argue with them sometimes and i say well what do you mean if this doesn't exist you just said you use your gut feeling because you knew that the suspect was there that's right Gut you know, feeling. That's right. Things that you know, uh, somebody asked me. And I said, if you walk in the barn that you know is empty, and you're looking around, and suddenly you feel like somebody's watching you, and you turn around, and there's somebody up in the loft staring at you. you know, that energy is going to your aura, and it ripples through and, and touches your, you know, your nerves, your pineal gland, and automatically you know they're there. Well, we all have the ability, but you know, I think it just is either unused or lies dormant in many people, but it's like going to the gym, you know, the more you use it, the more it opens up, and the sixth sense is authentic, it's natural, it's real, it sure is, you know, ghost spirits, uh, inhuman spirits exist, and I know John knows that, because, you know, uh, you've proved it to us through all these years, and to yourself, now, uh, people get themselves in trouble in many ways, there's a lot of budding paranormal groups that watch a few shows and read a book and go out and do investigation. And some of them get themselves into trouble, like inviting the spirit in, using a dowsing rod or something, and then they have a nasty spirit following them home and they're in trouble. They don't know what they did, what they cut themselves into. I mean, if somebody is going to form an organization like that, you know, for that study, maybe go on an investigation, either out of curiosity or to help somebody. Shouldn't they study under a mentor or have some type of education instead of just grabbing stuff and going out there and doing it? Couldn't they get themselves into really nasty trouble by doing that? Well, I think the way the paranormal community is today, I think we're all very well aware of it. I refer to it as the epidemic that we're dealing with today mm. and uh, it's it's sad it bothers me tremendously because 
You have a lot of people just throwing up websites out there, going into homes and, and you know, and saying and doing things. And as we all know, um, you start telling you, you, people they got demons and things in their homes. You know, it's it's a hard thing. It's it's a psychological warfare that gets played with individuals, and it bothers me. Even though I'm a demonologist, most people will tell you I'm the last person that's going to say there's a demon in a person's house. It takes time to evaluate. Today, people don't want to learn. People do not want to study the paranormal realm. You know, two, three months, they, they read a book, they throw a website up, they're out investigating, and then they get themselves into major trouble. Yeah. And it's yes. uh, something, and, you know, no matter whom I'm speaking to, whether I'm lecturing or doing a show or anything, I refer to it as an epidemic on what we're dealing with today. I agree with that. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, we always had, uh, you know, I always hear about, you know, later on in the show or a show that we're watching, oh, um, it was like they had amnesia or something. Oh, yeah, well, a while ago we played with the Ouija board and blah, 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 and we invited it in and we just forgot. And I was, you know, talking to David and he was looking around and he found, of all things, a Ouija board uh, by, I think it was one of these toy companies. And Hasbro it was, or something like right. that. Right. I know what you're talking it's about. It's pink. It's pink and it's cute and all that. And it looks harmless, but when you think about um, when you think about things like that, and you're really using words as a tool to bring something into fruition, you're bringing something into into the this realm. You really have to know what you're doing. So I agree with you, Johnny. I agree with you. You know, it, and a lot of people get very upset today. You know, as all of us know, and like I said, I have become a little bit more vocal. Um, with a lot of this because of seeing what's happening out there and realizing what people are getting themselves involved with because a lot of us hear the same thing. Well, gee, I didn't think it was real. Well, you know, again, I think it's important to be careful on what you're getting involved with and learning it. Our trade is no different than anybody else's out there. You need to take your time, you need to study, and you need to comprehend what you're getting yourself involved with before you just jump into it. And people just aren't doing it. They're just not doing it, and it, it's a very scary thing. It really is. And when you're using any type of spiritual tool to open the door to the side, you know, like a seance, Ouija board, uh, pendulum, dowsing rods, cards, you name it. You know, if you aren't careful about it, you might as well... It's like into somebody living, like, say, somewhere in a bad neighborhood and just leave your door open at night and let anybody come in. It doesn't matter. You know, that's, that's – so that leads up to the next question uh, from the dark side. Wait, wait. I have a question. Even a dowsing rod, too? Yes. Uh, there is a case where this uh, woman had a team of investigators – as an example, and they went to investigate uh, a cemetery one night, and her 16-year-old son wasn't allowed to go until he was older, until about 18 at least. But you know, he begged her so much, I guess, she said, okay, come along. They investigated the cemetery, and uh, the young, her son, had dowsing rods, and he was uh, trying to get some, you know, 
some reactions, some spirits, whatever, and invited whatever spirit there to come in. And he went home with a nasty, dark entity, and he had to be, I'm not sure if he had to be blessed or exercised or whatever, but he really got into bad trouble. And, you know, so... Well, you're you're referring to uh, Stacy Jones' son. That's who you're referring to. Um, And there's a lot more to that. It wasn't just a simple fact of her son uh, walking around with the dowsing rods. We have to remember they're a conductor of energy. And there's, you know, you get in these environments and the young man was just trying to learn how to use them and to see how they were going to work. And in that location, there was already something on a negative level, and it was something that attracted right towards him. So, again, mm. there, there, there's so much more, you know, you don't always hear about on these episodes on TV or, you know, uh, what people experience or what goes on behind uh, a, a lot more to it. Because dowsing rods, my gosh, they've been used to find water. They're used to find a lot of different things. Here again, uh, conductors of energy. And I don't necessarily believe that everything and anything that someone is practicing or doing or trying to understand is doing something on a negative to try and gain you know, some knowledge. But you could be in the wrong place at the wrong time and... It was an unfortunate circumstances where some of that stuff had lined right up at that point in time. That's what I meant. He uh, innocently did know, and he could have been fine on several times until something was lurking in the shadows that was dark that took advantage of it. So I totally mm-hmm. agree with you on that point. Was he was he a teenager? Because you know they say teenagers when they have their, you know. The hormones raging, you know, they do seem to have a little bit of ability and they kind of attract different things? Well, all of the above. Definitely. Uh, Again, in the circumstances, um, you know, he was reaching that age and he's a young man. You know, you got the hormones going and definitely we know, uh, again, with, with a lot of different circumstances when uh, whether male or female going through that stage of life there is those windows of opportunity where things attract to that type of energy it's something that's happened for years and years so yes um, again he was young he was at that age and in the wrong place and you know again trying to learn to understand a piece of equipment that's out there in the paranormal realm just happened to trigger, you know, something to go towards him. Wow. Wow. Okay, I'm going to mention three questions I want to ask. One at a time, briefly touch on it, because, you know, we could spend hours talking about this. But, oh, that's you know, true. Sorry. <laughs> the three questions I'm going to ask is about poltergeist and then uh, about demonologists and exorcists. And then the last one is about stages of possession and what leads up to them and so forth. So the first question is, some people profess that, oh, poltergeist activity is nothing more than somebody that, which you just recently spoke about, going through a certain stage of life that may have PK or psychic abilities, may cause things to happen in the house. Now, how do you explain uh, 
a 300-year-old mansion that's been abandoned. There's no children on the investigation and things move around. So, you know, are there more than one explanation for poltergeist activity or is it real? What can you tell um, us, Poltergeist activity is definitely real. Um, any of us that have been involved with uh, poltergeist cases, you know, when you see some of these things occur and some of these things happen, it just blows your mind. It really does. Even to this day, poltergeist cases to me are probably the most fascinating because you have physical items getting broken or thrown. Now, we know and we have a better understanding, I feel today, of a psychokinetic energy, and it does occur around children going through puberty. And it can run its course where you can have activity occurring for six months to a couple of years, and then everything will totally stop. But, again, just like we said earlier, during this time framing that this is happening and that things are changing, some type of energy, you know, is given off. And these children seem to have spirit gravitate towards them. And you could be looking at either or when dealing with uh, uh, poltergeist cases that, you know, where the children are involved with it and there's nothing that is tied in as far as, you know, there being spirit attachment or something on a negative level, but there are those circumstances, yes, that it's a perfect window of opportunity for something to enter. That's why I always tell people when you deal with a poltergeist case, you must take your time to evaluate it to see what you're exactly dealing with. Are you dealing with a child just going through puberty and this thing is going to run its course, or are we dealing with a child going through puberty plus they've picked up some type of energy also and contributing to the circumstances of what is happening? That makes sense. Or is to investigate and evaluate. Now, I was in a, working in a jail some years ago when there was this one person that committed suicide I guess the first time he attempted, he hung himself, and me and the deputy went in there and gave him CPR and brought him back to life. He was released, came back. You know, he he suffered from uh, bipolar disorder and psychosis and things of that nature, and eventually he did succeed in killing himself, you know, on a subsequent visit, visit back from the jail. And I was discussing with the nurse, you know, do you think he's still around? And, and we were talking in that area of papers that were taped to the wall flew off. And being a training officer at the time, uh, I was in there to do a report on the computer for some people are training. And he left a message for me in the area that you couldn't move the cursor to on the paper. So I printed it out and saved it. And a few years later, I was in another area. And during breakfast on the holiday, I turned on some music. And the lights started blinking exactly like they were hooked up to the music on the radio. And supervisors came in to do a round and said, oh, it looks like your friend is back. You know, so I, after they left, I uh, went and sat down and I said, I, that is you, isn't it? And the file, file box, there was two of them. Only one of them moved. It lifted up in the air and flew about five feet and landed on the floor right in front of my mm-hmm. eyes in daylight. So, yep, it's real for sure. You know, I mean, sometimes stuff like that just reminds you. But now the darker side, because, you know, the show, wow, we're really running out of time. You know, like some people say there are different stages of 
possession. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm talking about a human, not a, of a place. Temptation, oppression, and obsession, and a partial uh, obsession, uh, or obsession could lead to partial possession to full possession. And I know that th- these things are actually rare, and uh, but seem to be happening a little bit more now than they were in the past. So these stages leading up to possession, you know, can he be found out and stopped? And if it's too late, then is it too late? Oh, they, yes. Uh, when, when you have the infestation, and that, that's our beginning stages where you have a haunting and there's all kinds of things going on, doors opening and closing, lights going on and off and everything like that. Then you go into the oppressive state where, you know, the person's not able to sleep. They're getting worn down. And that's the critical part right there. If you're able to intervene and try and figure out exactly what is happening before an individual can actually toss the towel in. And when I say toss the towel in, a lot of times these people just get so aggravated with the activity, they get aggravated with what is occurring and happening, and they go, you know, okay, fine, whatever, just leave me alone. That's when they, you know, again, they're granting permission for the spirit to enter. And that's when it's the most difficult when you are dealing with a true possession. They're very difficult to work on, and a lot of times it could take multiple clearings, exorcisms, deliverances, whatever you want to call them, to be able to free that individual once they get their grasp and they hold on to an individual like that. It's uh, uh, the most difficult stage to deal with. It's the final stage. Wow. Now, what's the difference between demonology or a demonologist and an exorcist? Oh, I didn't know that well, question Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good one. I feel very strongly uh, in the field of looking at this when being a demonologist and practicing demonology is one aspect of our work. Um, when it comes into uh, the spiritual aspect of this, when a uh, clergy member or spiritual person is going in to perform, you know, any type of rites, these individuals usually put themselves into a very spiritual part of their lives that they're prepared for. They've trained to do it. They've learned what they need to do to be able to perform the job. So therefore, I look at this totally separately. Now, I do clearings on property. I do bindings on items. But I will never, ever perform an exorcism over an individual. Why? I feel that that has to come from an, an extremely pious and spiritual individual to be able to take that upon themselves to do it. Because your exorcists pay a very high price very high. Yes, they do. Uh, you, yes, they do. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've seen what it's done to um, people that have done this work over the years and the longevity uh, and the torment and the, the things that they go through physically and mentally. It, it's it's a tough job. It's a very tough job. And I would never, ever put myself in the category of being in that situation that I feel I would ever be qualified 
to do something like that. Wow. Now, the couple examples I'm going to give really briefly is leading up to another question. One is that um, it, I mean, we've done events in the past and lectures and all. We've always had mediums stay with us. Every time they come, we hear footfalls in the hallway, objects fly through the air, people walking around their kitchen, and when they leave, it's quiet. You know, lights flash, whatever. That's, but um, we had been contacted by this individual who played the Luigi board by himself at night. And he asked me for help and, and wife for help, and, you know, through email, we said no. This is what caused me to put links on my website for people that do this stuff, like you and, you know, uh, Bishop Long and so forth. And uh, because that's just not my calling. I've gotten rid of ghosts and things before, but that's not my calling. I, I stick to mediumship research and teaching. I don't go, you know, I'm like a doctor. I'm not going to practice pediatrics, ear, eye, nose, and throat, and all that other stuff, specialized, just like you do. So this other medium that's staying with us, Emma, she said yes. And then when she told us about it, because I have a room in the back of my poppy, I call the intro room where the reading's at. And she mm-hmm. she told me I said oh no you know you gotta tell you can't you can't have this guy you know you're not a demonologist or an exorcist and I said this guy is really deep trouble oh no I've gotten rid of negative spirits from people before no you can't do this well it's too late the guys know this way so I did what I could to protect my property and took all the other precautions didn't want to be involved in it and I said to bring your cell phone with you there's a problem let me know ten minutes into the deal you know I've done thousands of readings and I know. She called me, I go run back there, open the door and, and they're arguing, she's trying to, you know, do something that's not the way to do it. You know, you're not trained. So anyway, I had to interrupt it and this guy gets up, he turns all red, he gets really angry. I've never seen that before. It's just rage coming from then I can see some funny energy around his face and it, his face turned like a different person. And then his eyes, the pupils uh I know it just happened so quick. His eyes were solid black. Yeah. Scared the hell out of me. Excuse me for saying that on the radio, but it did. And we, uh, uh, you know, got him out of there and he left. And then, you know, she moved to Australia to do her practice. Shortly after she went there, she went horseback riding. She fell off the horse and almost died. She was in a coma. And then uh, she mentioned lots of other nasty stuff that's been happening in her life. Her marriage fell apart. She can't understand what's going on. And then here's another example. I did a couple of radio or internet TV shows, and uh, like spirits, but they were not demonologists. And this lady said, "Well, I have to do the, radio, uh, the TV show from down here because my room, the demons are up there." I said, "What do you mean?" Anyway, anytime I do something like that. You know, we get cut off of the show, there's static. Later on, when you listen to the tapes, there's uh, hissing, growling, and cussing on it. You know, so I have to stay away from that stuff. But the, her power went off, and then we had to start the show again. And she said, this never happened to me before. You know, I mean, and, and then somebody else called me when I was a guest on the radio and said, oh, how come I keep getting 666 on my cell phone and voice messages or growls and all kinds of stuff? And ask him, are you practicing demonology? That was my first question. He said, no, my wife is. You know. So let me ask you, do you have bad dreams? Do, do, do the, does the demonic 
try to stop you from doing the case? Do they mess with you? You know, what's it all about? I know that's a mouthful, but briefly, is there truth to that, that they will really try to stop you even ahead of time before you even receive a case? Absolutely. That, that's a continuous uh, downfall um, to dealing with, with the whole aspect of this, and that's something I learned earlier on is that we live a dual life, and that's a, an important element to survival uh, when dealing with this. It's very isolating. It's something that people don't quite comprehend and understand, but to be able to survive it and to be able to function and try and have some normal part to our lives, we have to separate things. And it's not an easy thing to do. It's a very difficult thing to do because you don't want everything affecting um, what I refer to as, you know, your normal life. So it's a difficult thing to deal with, and it's a hard thing to deal with. I mean, we all make mistakes. We all do, we all have done things where, you know, sometimes it's a trial and error with it. But if you don't learn from it and you keep repeating those mistakes, then you're just heading down that path of destruction. And there's no time in the spirit world. That's why a lot of times when people start jumping into this, I go, you have no idea what you're going to do. This could affect you down the road somewhere. And they're going, ah, John, we don't necessarily believe in all that. Well, then fine. Then two, three years later, I'll hear from somebody, oh, we got out of the paranormal, but this is still happening and that's still happening. I go, I warned you. I told you, you start doing, uh, you know, exorcisms and prayers and all these different things, and you have nothing backing yet to be able to help protect yourself from a spiritual perspective, then it, it, there's not much you can do. You know, you can share information with people, and you can do the best that you can to educate people, but people are still going to do things, and they're still going to attempt things. That's human nature. It's just the way it goes. But if an individual hasn't learned uh, from mistake, then there isn't really too much you could do about that. And it's going to continue within their life cycle. It's just going to happen. I've seen it happen, and I've seen some very, uh, very good people that, um, you know, were paranormal investigators, and they just took it that one step too far and ended up destroying their careers. Well, this stuff is real, whether you're an atheist or not, it's real. It's been proven, and the problem is people can't disprove it. It has been proved. John, I wanted to ask you about a scary, some amazing experience, but I'm not sure if we're going to have time. So is there any announcements you have to make, you know, about uh, any events or shows, anything that you would like to tell everybody? Oh gosh, um, I know uh, there's uh, several huge conventions I'll be at in 2014. Um, some smaller events. Um, working on still trying to structure a way to get the museum opened to be able to, uh, you know, uh, allow individuals to come in. Um, I'm working on a couple of other new projects for out in the media. I can't really go into too much depth yet uh, on any of it, but um, 
we will see what happens with some of that in uh, you know this year. But um, just look on the websites or Facebook page or you know a lot of the different things that are out there. And um, hopefully, if I'm in your area, uh, people will come out to see us. And we will definitely support you on that and come out ourselves. Yes, we will. And as a psychic medium, I'm telling you that this year is going to be good for you, John. The ride has just begun. So, you know, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for doing what you do. We don't know what we do without you. That's you know, thank you and God bless you. Well, I thank you very much, sir, and uh, thank the both of you so much. It was a great experience tonight. We got to talk about a few things that I usually don't. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> great. That's, That's why so we great. made it your show, John. Thank you very much. Thank okay, you for everything. you guys have a good Come night. You All too. right. Bye-bye. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Boy, that was an amazing show with amazing guests. Sherelle, what do you think about that? Oh, man. I, th- I mean, it's I a rare that privilege was... to have them on. That's true. I, I agree with you. I think that um, a lot of the information that he says, and he he made a good point, you know, really understand what you're getting involved into, you know, do the research, make sure that, you know, one thing that I always like what you talk about is making sure that, you know, we do the protection and we do that kind of thing. We didn't get a chance to ask him about what type of protection that he uses, um, but, you know, like he said, that he's, this is a serious thing. These things really happen, and people need to be careful and protect themselves. And it's not always just the people, but sometimes it's maybe the family. You know, you have to protect yourself for you're okay, but what about, you know, your family? Maybe they didn't, they didn't ask for that, and you need to also protect them as well. So that's just something to think about. I agree. And what he said about knowledge and research and learning makes a great deal of sense. You know, I used to collect coins years ago, and there was a saying in the coin collecting fields, don't go out and buy coins to be burnt. Buy the book before the coin. They used to say that. So what that means is, you know, do your research and contact somebody that's an experienced, known veteran, if possible, Learn from them before you do whatever it is that you want to do. It makes common sense. I mean, you wouldn't go out and start buying stocks if you, you know, got came into some money not knowing about just that, start buying stocks. So, you know, whatever you do, including that area, you should learn first. And, yes, people used, for example, Ouija boards, you know, for a long time. Nothing bad has ever happened to them, but, you know, those people that – uh, left their doors unlocked for years, one day found their home burglarized. Well, all it takes is one time, you know. All it uh, takes is one time, exactly. So get your knowledge before you decide to go and do something, especially something dangerous like that. But anyway, thank you to all our listeners. We really appreciate you listening to our show. And we give, again, great thanks to John Johnny Zaffis, the godfather of the paranormal. He's done so much for everybody. Hope you enjoyed the show. Good night to everybody. God bless. Good night, Cheryl. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Thank you. And we'll see you here tomorrow with the Psychic Twins. Good night.